Well, as you might have guessed, we're speaking on prayer this morning, but hold on just a second. I need to make a quick phone call, if you don't mind. Oh, hey, darling. Say, I just want to let you know I love you. You're so awesome. You're really wonderful. And I'm sorry I made you mad the other day. Um, I'll try not to do that again. Or you could try not to get mad next. Well, never mind. I'm sorry. That's what I wanted to say. Hey, thanks for everything that you do. Um, It's really a blessing to be married to you. And uh, I really appreciate you taking care of the boys and keeping up with the house and and, uh, everything that you do. I really need a little help with a few things, though. If you could help me out. Um, Could you pick up my dry cleaning on Monday? And I need some more of those razors. You know which kind, right? And the kids need haircuts. Um, My back hurts. You know, I went for the run yesterday. Could you maybe give me a back rub this afternoon? Um, And I'd really like to get a new washer and a new dryer. And uh, so if you could figure out how to make that work, that'd be great. And maybe get me a few more hours in each day. That would be awesome. Okay, thanks. Love you. Bye. Now, marriage is supposed to be our closest human relationship, right? But that wasn't a very relational exchange, was it? No, that was kind of a unilateral exchange, wasn't it? And I did that to illustrate um, how our relationships, in order to truly be relational, must be bilateral, not unilateral. We've got to give the person on the other end of the line an opportunity to speak to us to truly have a relationship. And so as we think about prayer, that's going to be an important thought, maybe a pregnant thought Uh, as we move through this and be thinking about prayer not just as what we say to God, but as the process of hearing from him as well and hearing back from him because he is to be our closest relationship, right? Our spouse should be our closest earthly relationship, then our immediate family and then extended family and beyond, but God is to be our closest relationship, period, and in order to have that relationship be truly relational, It must be bilateral. It must go back and forth. There must be some exchange. We must speak and express, but also listen and receive. And so as we talk about prayer today, I'm excited that the next two weeks, and I ordered it this way intentionally, the next two weeks are on the subjects of study and meditation, which are two of the main ways that we hear from God. So today we're talking about prayer and then we'll kind of reinforce the idea that that prayer is bilateral, that we can hear from God as well. We can hear from him through his word. We can reflect and meditate upon his word. We can hear from him through other people as well as God speaks to us through them. And we can hear that still small voice of God, especially when we incline our ear toward him. So today, as we consider prayer, we're going to be talking about prayer under the subtitle of the lifestyle of Jesus. As is often the case, Jesus is our model. He was a model for us in fasting, and we saw through Scripture last week as we talked about fasting and the spiritual discipline of fasting, that Jesus fasted often, and he fasted at some pivotal, crucial moments in his life and in his ministry. And we have much to learn from Jesus in regards to prayer. But before we do that, if you weren't here last week, and judging by the, the size of the audience today compared to last week, that describes a few of you. you you're, you're here today, and we're thrilled about that. But if you missed last week and haven't made it to Facebook or to our podcast to catch up um, with that, I want to just hit the high points of that message real quickly because we're in a series on spiritual 
disciplines. And discipline kind of gets a bad rap sometimes because we think about disciplining our children or we think about it as being synonymous with punishment. But when we use it as a spiritual discipline, we're not talking about spiritual punishment. We're talking about spiritual practices, spiritual training, spiritual things that we can do to strengthen us spiritually, to discipline ourselves. And so we had this big idea last week of, of, of doing what you can until you can do what you couldn't. Do what you can until you can do what you couldn't. And so when you think about a spiritual discipline and you think about praying, and you say, well, I, I can't really pray, Mark. I, I've never really done it before much, or I certainly can't pray out loud. Do what you can until you can do what you couldn't. Pray out loud alone when nobody else is around and get used to the sound of your voice and get used to speaking a prayer. And then eventually you'll be able to do what you couldn't. Or fasting. Uh, Forty-some people came down and got a sheet to take their next step in fasting. I was thrilled about that. Some people emailed and said, hey, I gave mine to somebody else because we ran out. And so I emailed additional copies out. And so there was this opportunity to take a next step, to do what you could until you could do what you couldn't. And when we talk about spiritual exercises in that manner, we're talking about wisdom, not righteousness. And I, I kind of glossed over this last week because I got out of order in my notes, but it's this powerful, powerful quote from Dallas Willard that we have to keep in mind through this whole series that spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines are wisdom. They're not righteousness. They don't make us more righteous than anyone else. They don't make us more righteous because we have done them than we would be if we hadn't done them. If we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he is Lord and Savior, and we are trusting in him and him alone for salvation, that's what makes us righteous. Not the spiritual disciplines that we do, not the amount of time we spend in prayer, not the amount of time we spend in Bible reading, or in any other spiritual practice. And so it's really, really important that we understand that. And it's interesting in today's reading, if you're following along in the, the banding together journals that we've made available, we've still got a few copies, we've got more on the way. But we read Galatians chapter 1 this morning, and there were a verse that stood out to me was this verse right at the beginning, verse 4 and 5, where Paul restates the gospel in really succinct terms. And he says, Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Then I made a few observations as the SOAP process, Scripture Observation Application Prayer would indicate. In the application, uh, this is what I felt that God was speaking to me. And I wrote, as I preach a series on spiritual disciplines, this is a good reminder that it's all been done for us by Christ. We simply focus on the disciplines and practices as a means to know him better, follow him more closely, and become more like him intentionally. So spiritual disciplines are wisdom. They are not righteousness. They do not make us more or less righteous because we do or do not do them. And they strengthen us. If we spend time in these spiritual disciplines, just like if we spend time in physical disciplines, we get stronger, our muscles get stronger. Or if we spend time in financial disciplines, we'll become stronger financially. The same thing works spiritually. And I shared a quote that had come to me in the last month or two um, as I shared my testimony. I just wrote at the end of that, if you don't know Jesus or you don't know him well enough to wake up every day longing to spend time with him and live life with him moment by moment, then I hope you'll get to know him better. And that's really at the heart of spiritual disciplines. They're tools to help us know him better. 
And if you do know Jesus and you do wake up every day wanting to spend time with him and live life moment by moment, then spiritual disciplines are probably a part of your life already. Or you have zero resistance to spending more time in spiritual disciplines because you want to know Jesus better and better. Because the more we get to know Jesus, the more we understand him, the more we see the truth of him, the more we will love him. Any failure to love Jesus is a lack of information or misinformation. And so spiritual disciplines become tools to know him better. And last week we talked about fasting and this idea that fasting feeds discipline. Fasting feeds discipline. We sow to the Spirit, as Paul talks about in Galatians 6, so that we are led by the Spirit, and that we reap a harvest from the Spirit instead of sowing to the flesh and reaping a harvest from the flesh. And so with all that said, I want to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. We're going to kind of camp out here. It's page 1841 in your in your pew Bibles there. If you need a Bible, there's one on the seat in front of you. And we're going to spend some time in this passage and then apply it a number of different ways. But this is a passage that many of you might be familiar with. It's, a, it's kind of a classic passage on prayer. And in this passage, Paul is sort of wrapping up his first letter to the church that he had a part in planting at Thessalonica. And he's making, as he often does at the end of his letters, he's making some final instructions. Like, yeah, we've addressed some different things specifically, but don't forget about this, you know, kind of a thing. And maybe you've done that, almost like a postscript. And he says this in verse 16, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you've ever struggled to memorize Scripture... 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17, you could get two verses and only have to remember five words, all right? And though these verses are small, they are loaded, aren't they? Like, you saying rejoice how often, Paul? Rejoice. Be joyful always? Like, always? Pray continually? What about, I, I got to sleep sometimes, Paul. Give thanks in all circumstances? Like, all circumstances? Or was there an asterisk in the Greek that didn't make it into the English translation? Like, all circumstances? He's really talking about his lifestyle, isn't he? He's talking about a lifestyle of prayer. He's talking about making prayer something that we never really cease to do. That it's always the right time to pray. And that's our bottom line today, is that it is always the right time to pray. It's one of those questions that you say, well, you know, would this be a good time to pray? Yes. The answer is always yes. What about tomorrow afternoon? Would that be a good time? Yes. What about when I wake up? Yes. What about right before I go to bed? Yes. What about when I wake up in the middle of the night and I don't want to be awake? Yes. In fact, one old saint told me one time that you should pray when you wake up and you can't fall asleep because then Satan will put you back to sleep because he doesn't want to hear it. (laughs) And I kind of like that idea. I don't know that it's theologically sound, but ABC prayers, maybe you've done this, where you try to think of a scripture or a person that you can pray or pray for or pray about that starts with the letter A and then B and then C. And if you make it to Z, it's probably time to get up because you're just not going to get back to sleep. But it's always the right time to pray. Always. And as we talk about what prayer really is, you'll see why that's so true. But I, I wrote 
this, and I posted it on my Facebook this week because I was reminded of it as I was, um, as I was preparing for this message, this idea that I have never, ever, not once in my entire life, wasted a single moment of time in prayer. And it's a little bit of a play on words because an atheist could say the same thing with just as much conviction. They'd be dead wrong in their approach to life. But we as believers, it's impossible to waste time in prayer. That is always a productive use of our time. It's not just what we do as a last resort when we are at the end of our resources. It should be our first resort. It should be our first tool of, of, of offense, first tool of defense. I, I was on a board of a rescue mission with a lady who was a prayer warrior, and she said specifically, when we asked her why she wanted to be on the board, she said, I want to know exactly how to pray for this rescue mission, so I'm getting on this board. And I remember she would say with such passion, she'd say, it's not just prayer, it's prayer. She would always whisper it. But she believed so powerfully that it was always time to pray, and that prayer was always a good use of her time, of her intention, of her ability of her spiritual discipline. And so when we talk about prayer, it's important, and I'll do this each week, and and I've been in a habit of of kind of defining the terms because sometimes we walk in with different ideas of what something is. And if we have wrong ideas about prayer and we think that prayer is something you can only do with your head bowed and your 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 hands folded together and you you know you have to pray in a certain way or a certain style or to uh, this saint or that saint or to this or that then we need to understand that prayer is, is a much broader concept. And so as I was studying this, I kind of came across something that was a little new to me. I was studying the words that are used for prayer, and the one that's used the most in the Greek or the original language of the New Testament, it's this word prosukomai, prosukomai. Everybody say prosukomai, prosukomai. See, you can, you can speak Greek now. Tell your waitress at lunch, say, you know what? Most of it's all Greek to me, but not prayer. Prayer is prosukamai. Prosukamai is a really interesting word. Like a lot of words in the Greek language, it's, it's a combination of words that creates a little bit of a word picture. And so we've talked about this before, but prosukamai is really cool because it's two words or two ideas that have been smashed together to form a new word, basically. And the two words are pros, which means to exchange, and yukamai, which is, refers to ideas or wishes, And so it's an exchange of ideas or wishes. And the Bible dictionary that I was using uh, said that literally a a definition of prayer, as as represented by prosukamai, is to interact with the Lord by switching our human ideas and thoughts and wishes for His wishes as He imparts faith. And I love that definition. I love everything about that definition. Because even as mine become more like his, if we're the same on something and I exchange mine for his, that's no loss. But anything that I would have as a thought or an idea or a wish that I could exchange for his would be a massive upgrade. So whatever circumstance I'm going through, if I exchange my thoughts, my ideas, my wishes in that circumstance for his... I'm on a better track. I'm on a better trajectory. I'm moving in the right direction. And so we should be continually interacting with the Lord in order to exchange our human thoughts and ideas and wishes for His divine, perfect, 
thoughts, ideas, and wishes. We should do that continually. We should never stop. We should always be seeking to exchange our thoughts for his thoughts, our ways for his ways. And being joyful and giving thanks are two keys in doing this. And I think that's why Paul sandwiched them around his command to pray continually. He started with be joyful always, right? Or some translations say rejoice always. And then he finishes give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances, but it does say give thanks in all circumstances. And we can truly give thanks in all circumstances. If we'll do those two things, we will be exchanging our thoughts and ideas and wishes for his thoughts and ideas and wishes on a regular basis. We'll be praying continually. So verse 16, when it says to rejoice or to be glad or to delight, these are all sort of meaning the same thing, to to express joy, to be joyful, full of joy, always. And so if you can't think of anything else to be grateful for or anything else to rejoice in, you can rejoice in salvation. You can rejoice in the goodness of God. You can rejoice that once we were no people and we were destined for a life separated from God. And now we have been brought into the family of God. We can rejoice in that every single moment of every single day. We always have something to rejoice in. The psalmist said in 118, Psalm 118, verse 24, This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, he wasn't talking about that one day that he wrote that psalm. He was talking about this day, too, and that day next week, and that day a few months ago. Even if something terrible happened, even if terrible news came to you, it was a day that the Lord has made. And we can rejoice and be glad in the goodness of God, in his inclination towards us, in the availability of salvation to us. If you are saved and living with Jesus, rejoice. And if you aren't, today can be the day. Today can be the day where you step over the threshold of faith into a relationship with Jesus Christ, where you say, I am a sinner. I have fallen short of the glory of God. But by God's grace, salvation has been made available to me through the person of Jesus Christ, and I choose to put my faith in him to pay the penalty for my sin, which I cannot pay for my own, And to bring me into the family of God. And today can be the day of salvation. And today can be the day that you look back and you say, February 23rd, 2020 was the day that I became a believer. And you can rejoice in his goodness and his salvation every day going forward as you pray continually. And then verse 18, give thanks. Give thanks. As you rejoice always and you pray continuously, you give thanks. And when we think about this new definition of exchanging our thoughts and ideas and and our ways for his thoughts and ideas and his ways. Giving thanks is another way that we do this because at the heart of giving thanks, at the heart of gratitude, is the word grace. It's, It's essentially saying, thanks for grace. Thank you for your grace that has been given to me. Thank you for the grace of salvation. Thank you for the grace of forgiveness. Thank you for your unmerited favor that you have anything to do with me at all, God. We can give thanks in all circumstances. We can start with salvation and grace and we can move into other things and we can look back over time and see how those things that came across our way that were not pleasant at all, that were not well received at the moment, we can see how those things have been worked together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We can see that in hindsight and we can learn to give thanks in the circumstance even when we don't see how that's going to work out. So we can give thanks in all circumstances. We can start each day 
with gratitude. Because this is God's will. All three verses. This is God's will for you who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, you can rejoice always because you're in Christ Jesus. You can pray continually. You can give thanks in all circumstances because you're in Christ Jesus. And so it's that that I want to focus on, this idea of of Christ Jesus and looking to him. Remember, our title for this message is prayer, the lifestyle of Jesus. I want to look at the life of Jesus and look at some ways in which we can take on the lifestyle of Jesus in these verses and see some things that he did that we can emulate. And so this won't be an exhaustive list, but if you're a note taker, you're going to like the next few minutes here because we're going to rattle through some slides and we're going to take some notes and there are going to be some scriptures that you can write down if you want to come back to this and pray through it and think through it a little bit later. But the first lesson from the life of Jesus is to withdraw regularly, to pray. Withdraw regularly with the purpose of praying, with the purpose of interacting with God to exchange your human thoughts and ideas for his divine thoughts and ideas as he gives faith. Right? That's what we're talking about. And I believe Jesus did this. He was the Son of God, but he was also the Son of Man. He was fully divine, but he was also fully human. And I think he made a habit, as Luke 5.16 tells us, of withdrawing to a quiet place to pray. He did that with intentionality, to exchange anything that was human for that which was divine. And the busier he got, the more he withdrew. Not the less. That was the non-negotiable. And the busier he was with ministry, he realized the more he had to withdraw. And there have been saints throughout history who have taken the same approach. Martin Luther said, I have so much to do every day that I cannot begin until I have spent at least two hours in prayer. He didn't say, I have so much to do that i got to whittle down my prayer time. He said, I've got so much to do, I dare not even endeavor any of it until I have spent time in prayer. But don't limit your prayer to times where you have withdrawn. Don't limit your prayer to when you can go into your prayer closet or you can sit in your special chair. You can do that. That's a powerful place to interact with God face to face. But I believe he also wants us to interact with him shoulder to shoulder as we go through our day. And I'll often talk with married couples or pre-marrieds about this, that we experience intimacy in our closest relationships both face to face and shoulder to shoulder. That's why dinner in a movie is such a great date. You sit face to face at dinner and you talk about your feelings, right guys? And it's uncomfortable and you can't wait for the movie. And if you're lucky, she lets you pick the movie. And then you sit at the movie shoulder to shoulder and you have a shared experience. Well, you can do the same thing with God. You can sit with him face to face and exchange ideas, your thoughts and ways for his thoughts and ways in the morning or at the end of the day, wherever prime time is for you. And you get up and you go shoulder to shoulder through the day. You say, hey, God, what about that? What do you think I should do? And you're interacting, and you're going through the day shoulder to shoulder. The next one that we can see from Jesus is is to give thanks always. Give thanks always. He lived this out throughout the Gospels. Go, Go ahead and read them sometime and just circle all the times that it says Jesus gave thanks, or Jesus thanked God, or Jesus lifted his eyes to heaven and gave thanks. One area that might be The most profound, probably, is Matthew 26, verse 26 and 27. While they were eating at the Last Supper, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, the blood of the covenant. And 
Before he fed the 5,000 or the 4,000, he looked to heaven and he gave thanks. And there's a specific Hebrew prayer that he would have prayed as he gave thanks that they all would have known. But that was inserted into the fabric of his life. And so, yes, we should bow our heads and thank God for each meal because it reminds us throughout the day. It calls us back to prayer. And we should start each day with gratitude. I, I do my Bible reading journal and I have another journal. And anytime I get that journal out, I start with two or three things that I'm thankful for from the last 24 hours. And it's not hard once you get used to it. And it puts me in the right frame of mind of thanking God at the beginning of each day. The next one that we see from Jesus is really important as we pray continually is to stay surrendered. And you might need to pray that God will help you stay surrendered. But as you pray and as you go through prayer, think about Jesus just a few verses down there in Matthew 26. We read these words in verse 39 when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he goes off. We're told he goes a little farther. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will. But as you will, he was praying a big prayer. He was sweating drops of blood. His whole heart and soul was in this prayer, and yet he stayed surrendered. And then he goes back and finds the disciples napping. So he goes off to pray again. We read that verse again. Verse 42, similar but slightly different. He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. He stayed surrendered. And we have to stay surrendered. And we have to recognize who we are praying to. This is the God of the universe. This is the Almighty. This is the one who is sovereign over everything, including us. And we should pray to him as such. There's nothing wrong with referring to him as the man upstairs. But he's so much more than that. He's so much more than the man upstairs. He is the God of the universe. And may we stay surrendered to him as we pray continually. Notice the Lord's Prayer, the first real big idea there. It's our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And too often we pray, my kingdom come, my will be done. Make it happen. And that's not relational. And that's not surrendered. And so we can look at Jesus and look at how he stayed surrendered throughout. And then we see interceding for others. This is another way that you can pray. All of you know people, and people need prayer. And we can intercede for others. John 17 is a a classic passage on this. We don't have time to dig into it. But if you would read John 17, if you're looking for a little homework or a little extra credit, go read John 17 this afternoon. He prays for himself as he's about to face the cross. He prays for his disciples, knowing that they will be plan A to take this whole thing to the world. And then he prays for us. He prays for those who would receive the message. That's us. Jesus prayed for you. He prayed. He didn't maybe list... Linwood Wesleyan Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, but he prayed for you because you have received the message that came out from the disciples. He prayed for you. He interceded. He interceded for the disciples, and he interceded for those that would come to faith through him. And so those are just four lessons from the life of Jesus that are specifically related to prayer. I want to spend the the remainder of our time looking at some forms or some styles or some suggestions, some practices that you can adopt for praying continually. The first is what we call breath praying. And if you're just getting started in prayer, 
This is a phenomenal way to get started and to build prayer into a part of your life. Breath praying is saying a prayer that can be stated in a, simple, in a single breath. In a single breath. Maybe the inhale and the exhale. And so you could say, be still and know that you are God. Be still and know that you are God. And you can repeat it over and over and over again. He doesn't get tired of that. In fact, uh, Lois Hogeveen, who attends our church, wrote a book called Be Still and Know, and it's on the practice of breath praying. And it talks about getting through a stage or a series of, of events that brought loss and grief and how breath praying brought her through that loss. One that, that works very, very well for me is based on Psalm 70, verse 1 where I inhale and I say the words, Oh God, please come to my assistance. And I exhale, Oh Lord, make haste to help me. It's essentially Psalm 70, verse 1. I learned it from some monks in a silent monastery. The only time they ever speak is when they're singing the psalms to God and worshiping and praying Him. And so when you don't hear anything else and you hear that over and over, it saturates into you. And through some of the darkest and most difficult times of my life, I have prayed, Oh God, please come to my assistance. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. In and out, in and out. You can go for a walk and pray in and out and do that. That's breath praying. Psalm 46 verse 10 or Psalm 70 verse 1. There are others in the Psalms. There's, there's this idea of conversational prayer. Like sometimes we think that prayer has to be this big, high style, formal thing like a pastor would do in church. And it doesn't. You can, you can pray to God about anything and about everything. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious in nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, make your request known to God, and the peace of God, you're exchanging your request for His peace, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You can pray about anything. You can just go for a walk and talk to God as if He's right next to you and explain the situation and ask Him to weigh in on it and see what thoughts come to mind. And if they resonate with Scripture, maybe you're new in that, bounce it off of somebody before you go acting on it. Because I've had people come into my office as a pastor with some pretty crazy ideas of things they heard God say to them. And I'm like, no, no, he didn't say that. I'm not, I'm not sure who said that. But that goes against this and this and this and this Scripture. So you, you should stay with your wife. You should not run off with her. God would not tell you to do that. I'm not making that one up. The next one, especially for beginners, is praying Scripture. Find some scripture that really resonates with you and find a way to insert yourself or someone else in it. We looked at John 17. That's a good one. You could pray the same things that Jesus prayed as they fit the context of your life. You could pray for others in the same way that Jesus prayed for others. If you're feeling convicted by sin, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are powerful, powerful prayers that David expressed to God to exchange the guilt and condemnation of his sin for the grace and love of God. Powerful, powerful prayers, and insert yourself into those. One that didn't make the slide is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it is not boastful. Try to place your name in there and see how far you can get. Mark is patient. Well, sometimes. Mark is kind. Usually, if the cameras are on especially. But, but train yourself in those ways to, to pray through Scripture, to pray the concepts of Scripture into your life, praying Scripture. The ACTS prayer is listed next. ACTS is an acronym 
adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Powerful, powerful tool for me. When I was first getting used to praying and prayer journaling, I would do Acts prayers. If you were paying attention and know about the Acts prayer, my little conversation with Heather was an adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication type of prayer. I started by adoring her and then confessing, hey, you know, I'm really sorry about that, and then thanking her for the things that she does and the ways that she does them and ending with supplication. Now, you might have noticed supplication was a little longer than the other sections, and, and that's often the case when we pray, right? It's like, let me get this adoration out of the, and I got to confess something, right? And I want to thank him for a few things, but gosh, I got to get to my list because I got a list and I got all this stuff that I need to work, and it's not going to work if God doesn't bless it, right? As you pray this, the adoration section grows. As you get to know him and love him and experience his grace and his mercy in your life, the adoration section grows. And as you become more aware of your fallenness and the, th- the times in which you, you get tripped up, the confession section can grow and the thanksgiving section can grow. And that supplication becomes less about you and more about your, God's work in your life, through your life and interceding for those around you. In fact, on this idea of adoration, I was so blessed to walk into the youth center after they had their vespers. It was kind of a night of worship where they were focused on worshiping and adoring God for their entire large group time. And they, they wrote the word adoration on the wall, and then students went up throughout the night and wrote little prayers, little verses that came to mind, little statements about God. It's powerful. It's still up. You should go look at it. Spend some time and let the adoration of our students prompt you to adore God and to thank him for what he's doing in our youth ministry. Powerful, powerful stuff. Really, really cool. And the last one that I'll mention is this idea of prayer walking. Prayer walking. Sometimes sitting, especially if you're an activistic type of person, sitting with your head bowed and your hands folded puts you to sleep. It doesn't put you into the presence of God. And so one of my favorite things to do, I do it at least once a week, if not several times a week, is to walk through the sanctuary and pray. Sometimes I'll read a passage of scripture or I'll play some music and and I'll pray that music, some worship music. I'll pray that music or I'll pray that scripture over this place and over you. And those of you who sit in the same place all the time, God will bring you to mind sometimes when I'm in your little section and I'll pray for you. And it's just a way to be active and to be moving. You can, you can pray. There's people that have come to the church during office hours and prayed through the halls and through the rooms and prayed through the sanctuary. I wouldn't mind more of that. If it helps you stay focused, if it helps you stay engaged, it's worth it. And so our bottom line in all of this, pick one. Don't, don't say, okay, I got five things I got to do now because Pastor Mark told me I got to do this and this and this. No. Take your next step. Take your next step in prayer. If you're already doing two or three of those, maybe one of them is kind of interesting that you haven't heard of or started before, and you could take a next step in that and bring some freshness to your prayer life. Because it's always the right time to pray. It's never the wrong time to pray. And there's a lot of opportunities to pray. If you'd like something with a little bit more structure or a little bit more of a group environment, there's opportunities here at Linwood. In fact, we have weekly gatherings. We promote these each week. They're in the sermon slides, and we put them on the what's coming at, Net, at Linwood on the bulletin, so you know when the next one is. But essentially, the first Sunday of each month, they have people that gather to pray in the chapel at 8.30. And the second Sunday, they pray at 9.30. And the third Sunday, they pray at 10 o'clock. 
and the fourth Sunday they pray at 1130. It's, it's just a rhythm. It's a routine for people to come together and to pray. And sometimes there's one person, and sometimes there's two, and sometimes there's 18. I'd love, and I've said this before, I'd love for every single person who calls Linwood Church their church home to make it a priority to be at one of those. Can you imagine what would happen in this church if every single person came at least once a month and prayed for this church? There's a prayer guide. You don't have to pray out loud. Nobody's going to call on you. Somebody's there to facilitate, and if nobody's there to facilitate, you can all just pray quietly together. I think Satan's terrified of what would happen if every single person came at least once a month to one of those. It would be powerful. It would be powerful. There's weekly, we pray for other churches. We are a kingdom-minded ministry here at Linwood. We pray every single week for other churches. And we put this on the screen. Every single week, we pray for a district church in the northwest district of the Wesleyan Church. That's the top one. That's why sometimes we pray for churches in Alaska and Oregon and other places. And we pray for a local church. We pray for a church in the Sioux Falls area. There are gobs of them. But we pray for them. We pray for their pastor. I send them a note to let them know that we're praying for them and we want God to bless them. And it's a reminder to pray. And these, when you see these, can be a reminder to pray. We pray for the students and the faculty at, at Cleveland Elementary every week. And we list two or three or four faculty by name. These are ways that you can be engaged in prayer. Come a few minutes early. Sit down. Pray for those people. Pray for those names. Outside of that, we do have the prayer chain emails. You can sign up for a prayer chain email on your connection card. There's a little box you can check. If you don't get those, we send them out about every week or so. We'll get several sometimes in a week if there's a lot going on. And this is an opportunity for you to pray for somebody in our church family. You can sign up for that if you haven't already. Or you can say, you know what, I'd like to be a part of that prayer team. I would like to to be in the loop on other opportunities and ways in which we can pray. And so you could check that box and be a part of it. And there's a really great opportunity coming up just in the next couple of weeks. This was all time together to give you something tangible that you could do and be a part of. And it's our 24 hours of prayer. On March 6th and 7th, we will start at 6 p.m. on March 6th. And there will be somebody praying in here for the next 24 hours. And so you have an opportunity to come and pray, and you can pray in the wee hours of the morning, or you can pray during the day. You can pray whenever in that 24-hour cycle works for you. There's a sign-up sheet out in the lobby, and I would encourage you to sign up today so that we can start to fill in the gaps as a staff and as members of the prayer team. We kind of ask them to go second to let people fill up, but we want to make sure that somebody's praying in here for 24 consecutive hours. So we need you to sign up, and when you do that, you'll get a code to the door so that you can get in and, and you can be a part of that, and you can pray, and we can keep it a secure place even through the, the wee hours of the morning. But that's a phenomenal opportunity, and I encourage you to sign up for an hour. We'll give you a prayer guide that's broken up into five-minute sections, so you'll get 12 five-minute sections, things to pray for to keep you on track. And and I remember last week somebody said, I only got to number two. (laughs) I got going on that one, and I just prayed for an hour and spent time in worship and in prayer and in Scripture, and it's a powerful, powerful opportunity to do that. So please sign up today. I was so thrilled. We put the sign up out last week but didn't say anything. Two people signed up, and they're both members of our student leadership team in in Linwood Student Ministries. And I was like, that's so stinking cool. That's so cool. And so please do sign up today. But but just remember, (laughs) there's, there's never a wrong time to pray. These are some specific ways that you can engage in prayer on a regular basis at Linwood, but there's never a wrong time. It's always the right time to pray. 
And so I want to spend the last minute or two here just walking you through this little six-question survey that was on your seat when you came in. If you already filled that out, um, you may want to change one or two of your answers after we, after we fill this out, but just make, make it real clear. If everybody would take that, I'm guessing we got about 240 to 250 people in the sanctuary right now. I would love, love, love to see 240 to 250 of these cards turned in. This is really important. We want to we understand, kind of create a baseline, benchmark for how people are engaging in personal spiritual practices. And that's what this is designed to do. And it didn't quite ever fit in the It's Time to Grow series, even though we wanted to do it early in the year. So the first line says, thinking back over 2019. So this is not your life to date, and this is not necessarily what you're doing currently, because if the preaching's been any good, you've probably started reading scripture a little more and doing some journaling and maybe praying a little bit more, maybe meeting with another group of people. So I want you to think back to 2019 and a ballpark average for how much you did these certain things. How many days per week did you engage God's word? Engaging God's Word is what's happening right now, so if you come to church every Sunday, that's one. If you come uh, maybe on Wednesday night and you do a Bible study, that's two. If you read the Bible by yourself at home and you engage Scripture and reflect upon it, then each time that you do that. So you could say, I do that once one day a week on Sunday. I do it two days a week, Sunday, Wednesday. I do it every day because I, I have my rhythm and I spend time in God's Word every single day. You can do zero, one to three, four to six, or seven days a week. Then how many times or how many days a week did you spend focused time in prayer? Where you kind of carved out a little bit of time. This is when I'm going to pray. This is how I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to focus time in prayer. Zero, one to three days, four to six days, seven days a week. Then number three and number four have to do with service. How many weeks each month? So how many, in a given month, how many weeks do you serve at Linwood? And how many weeks do you serve somewhere in the community, even if it's with Linwood? So if you always make it to St. Francis' house and lunch is served on every other month, that gives you a second one. If you serve one week a month here, you would have two. If you're serving every single week, and I know some of you serve every single week at Linwood, then you can do all four. If you serve somewhere else in the community, maybe you volunteer, maybe you're a leader in a community Bible study, or you serve... In the name of Jesus, somewhere in this community, count up the number of weeks a month and indicate that. Number five and six have to do with experiencing fellowship, where two or three are gathered, essentially. So that could be this, you're experiencing fellowship. But maybe you are a part of a small group. Maybe you are a part of, of something through Linwood. If you do Sunday school and church, count that as one, all right? But if you do a, something else that, that's in a different location indicate that. I would really love to hear this. We'll collect all this data. We'll kind of have a, a baseline for now, and we'll see how that changes over the course of the next six months to a year to two years, and so on and so forth. So we really want to hear from you. This is completely anonymous. There's no reason not to fill out the, serm, the, the survey. There are pens in the backs of the seat, and there's no reason to lie. There's no reason to inflate it. There's no reason to say, oh yeah, I'm a seven times a day, Pastor Mark, because I'm not going to know. Okay, but we really want, this is only worthwhile if it's accurate and if it's a broad representation. So please just fill it out, drop it in the plate, and we'll collect those with the offering. Well, with all that said, it's time to respond. And so, as always, my prayer is that you will respond in faith, that you'll take your next step in prayer.
that there'll be something that the Holy Spirit tapped you on the shoulder and said, this one's for you. Why don't you do this? Why don't you try breath praying? Why don't you pray some scripture? Why don't you go for a prayer walk every now and then? Whatever the case may be, may we be a people who continually respond in faith to God and to his word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of prayer. We thank you for the opportunity to exchange our thoughts and our ideas and our wishes for yours as you add faith. Help us to be a people of prayer. Help us to rejoice always, to pray continually, to give thanks in all circumstances. Help us to emulate your patterns of, and your lifestyle of prayer and to find ways in which we can grow and take our next step in prayer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.